Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by All About Jazz, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free, anytime you want it, in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll find links to purchase the music you hear on the show, which helps support the Jazz Session. And you'll find a donate button if you'd like to directly support the Jazz Session. Uh, the show is free, and it always will be, but if you'd like to give a little back, it's very easy to do so using the secure donate button at thejazzsession.com. I mentioned uh, recently that I spent a week in New York and uh, took a ride over the Brooklyn Bridge on my bicycle to uh, go out into Brooklyn and interview Shane Ensley. And right after I left uh, Shane's house, I rode over to uh, the apartment of pianist John Escrete, who I had uh, just coincidentally seen just the night before with Taishan Sori's uh, new quartet. Uh, John uh, welcomed me into his home, and uh, we recorded an interview to talk about his new album, Don't Fight the Inevitable, which begins uh, with just a, a fantastic composition of John's called Civilization on Trial. John Street, his new CD is called Don't Fight the Inevitable, and it's my pleasure to have John on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jason. Uh, I Welcome. A, I'm, uh, I'm really happy to have a chance to talk to you. I really, I really dig this record, and uh, thought we could maybe start by having you talk about the people who are on it with you. It's a uh -huh. fantastic band. Okay, well, basically, the band is, um, or was my working band at the time, of recording, you know, that's always my main intention to document something on recording that is a working band. And we had been on tour in Europe right before we recorded this. We went over in January and we did nine consecutive concerts, you know, w without a night off. We just went and did nine separate dates in nine separate cities. So, you know, so by that time the music was obviously very well played in and all the options and possibilities within that had been explored. And we got back to New York and took a day or two off and then you know, went into the studio for two days. And, you know, as you know, the personnel on the recording are Dave, Vinny, Ambrose, Akin Musery, Matt Brewer, and the Sheet Weights. And, um, you know, all very, very, very strong musical personalities. 
on their respective instruments and people who I would consider to be innovators on their respective instruments, um, which is basically a quality I, I look for. You know? And why is that? Talk more about that. Why are they innovators or why do or I why, look for that quality? Because it's something that I aspire to, first of all, you know. Um, and I think that all of our favorite musicians throughout the history of this music we call jazz, or any music for that matter, have been innovators, you know. Whether it's someone like, you know, Coltrane, or if you want to look at other genres, like any classical composers who, you know, have stood the test of time, have always been innovators at their time, either Bach or Beethoven or Stravinsky or... You know, Michael Jackson or whoever, if you want to go into different genres, all these people have been innovators in one way or another, so that's what really has a lasting effect on, on any art form, in, in my opinion. You know. how, do you, um, how, do, how does one aspire to be an innovator? How do you set your course toward innovation uh, as a musician or composer? I mean, I don't really know, to be honest. It's something I'm trying to figure out, and the first point to make is that it might not be applicable to everybody's desires or wishes. It might that might not be what everybody's after, which is cool. That's also you know perfectly valid as well. But for me, I think that the first and most important thing to bear in mind is not to be you know obs you know obsessed with trying to be like somebody else. You have to be yourself, basically first and foremost, which all of the musicians that I mentioned are. are you know. But you have to obviously study very hard and have, you know, an understanding of all kinds of music. You have to have an open mind. Well, actually, that's not true. You know, you don't have to have an open mind to be an innovator. But it's just that's how I go about doing it. You know, what <laughs> doing attempt to do it. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, you, you, you've got to be yourself basically and and work at crafting something that is is uniquely personal and. So it gets at the stage where, like, if somebody wants you on their in their band or on on their project or on their recording, like, if they want that particular thing, they have no other option apart from calling you because nobody else can do that job. You know, like, if if you create a niche for yourself where you're the only person that can do that thing, then you're onto something. You're a winner because they can't call anybody else. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um. The, uh, the very first track on here, Civilization on Trial, uh, is one of those that, whenever I listen to this record, I usually end up listening to that particular tune about ten times. I'll oh, just, wow. Uh, <laughs> it up and over. It's a fantastic track, and one of the things that I really like about it is it, uh, it has a beautiful combination of kind of intricacy and, uh, and freedom at the same time, it's not, which is actually, I think, kind of a hallmark of this record. There are a lot of places Thank where... You. Uh, there are things that sound, like you said, things that sound like they're played by a band that had just played this music mm -hmm. night after night. Mm -hmm. And then I think that allows the band to also explore inside that framework. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how, when you first brought this music to the band, uh, what that was like, how much is fleshed out? Well, I mean, I, I guess it varies actually from composition to composition, but if you want like an, an overall view of the thing. I mean, we, we rehearsed a couple of times in New York before we went on the road. We rehearsed before Christmas because it's always after Christmas, you know, in the New Year. Sure. And, you know, we'd had a few gigs in New York before that, you know, sporadic gigs, you know, but the music hadn't been completed then. So some of the music was, you know, semi-familiar to the guys. Some of it was brand new. Some of it I wrote over Christmas, you know. So I, you know, brought in some new music. Um, and it's hard. So 
you know, some, some of the guys, it, it, I don't want to say struggled with it, but I, I always knew, I was writing with those guys in mind, basically, so I knew how it would sound once they, you know, got to grips with it and, and got around it. You know, the music is hard, you know, not everyone can sight-read that kind of music, and even if they can sight-read that kind of music, doesn't mean anything in my opinion is how they interpret it which is what I'm looking for not how how quickly they get it down you know that's not you know what I'm what I'm concerned with really sure so I was like okay I'm writing this music whether it's hard or easy some of it's easy some of it's hard you know but as I was writing it I was thinking well how are they going to deal with this music how are they going to interpret this music and that was always at the back of my mind or should I say the forefront of my mind rather you know when I was composing that stuff you know David Biddy seems to be a particularly good foil for your compositions, and obviously you've had a lot of experience playing with him mm -hmm. uh, and his band as well. Can you talk about how you two met and started playing together? Yeah, I mean, Dave has has been a very, very important mentor to me since I've been in New York over the past few years. I've been very fortunate to gain a lot of experience and, and knowledge and insights, you know, working with him and getting to know him as a person as well. Um, I mean, how we met, first of all, I forget exactly, I think we were hanging out in a, in a bar or something in Kettle of Fish and he had played a concert, I played a concert somewhere and I introduced myself and then I think I got in touch with him online a few days later and asked him if, I was a student at Manhattan School of Music at that time and I said, you know, would you, would you be interested in coming up to school and just playing a session? And thankfully Dave is open-minded enough to say, yeah, sure, why not? He liked the music that he heard online. And he came up to Manhattan School to, you know, in his spare time to play with a bunch of students because that's his, you know, um, approach to these things. You know, like he, he's always looking for, for new, well, not for new talent, but like he's concerned with the musicians of now and the musicians of today. You know, that's why he, his music sounds very youthful and fresh, and that's why he's a very youthful person as well because he, you know, he he's concerned with, with you know, with mentoring young musicians and he's concerned with like I said the music of today. So anyway he um, he came up to school and we played that session and it was fun and then 
I think two days later he called me and says, can, can you make, make the 55 bar gig next week with, with his band, which was Thomas Morgan and, and Dan Weiss, and of course I did it, and you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't do a very good job the first time because that's a whole other ball game, his band, you know? Yeah. That's a very highly developed, specific thing, you know? But I, I did the best I could, and Dave saw the potential. I mean, you always used to talk about potential, and he, he says, you know, I see you have all this potential, and if you, if you just address this and this and this, you know, you can really take, take your craft and your art to the next level, and thankfully I've been lucky to have his guidance ever since, and I credit a lot of my achievements. I mean, I, I, I credit it to myself as well, but like, he's certainly been an important factor in helping me along the way, more than helping me along the way, you know, he's been very important. And is that idea of a, a highly developed, specific, kind of unified sound uh, one of the things that sounds to me like it's one of the things that guides your own composition as an approach to it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very important no matter what the thing is. That's very important to me. And I think it's it's an ongoing and common occurrence in most of my favorite bands, you know, having that highly developed, specific thing. Um, doesn't mean, you know, those specific things from band to band can be like way different, can be worlds apart. Like, you know, Dave's band sounds nothing like my band, in, in, in my opinion, in his opinion, I'm sure as well. It just doesn't sound anything, you know, remotely similar. But what, what I can say is that we're both concerned with having something that's highly developed, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's important to me. I'd like to uh, fill in some backstory for folks who may be hearing about you for the first time mm -hmm. uh, in this interview. Can you talk about uh, where you grew up and how you ended up here in New York? Okay, well, I grew up in um, a town in northern England called Doncaster, which is my hometown, you know, where I was born. And neither of my parents or, or anyone else in my family is musical. Um, I just happened to get into music somehow. I don't really know how, to be honest. I mean, there was a lot of kind of live music on the, on the television in the 1990s, you know, on, on British TV when I was growing up and, you know, it was, which is a good thing and I wanted to play piano from an early age, you know, from from when I was um, like four years old, even though that was in the 80s, you know, but I wanted, I just had a natural interest in music and then when I was a small child, a little bit old, you know, there was live music and stuff on the, on the TV. And then my hometown, actually has a very good youth jazz program there. Um, they have like a you know a local big band system and I, I went to their classes and, and gained some like big band experience there. And then I went to a specialist music school called Cheatham School of Music, which is um, in Manchester in England, which is like a boarding school. I went and actually lived there for, for most of the time, from the ages of 14 to 18. And that was actually mostly a classical school. I mean, it is primarily a classical institution. And you know, part of my requirements to be there were to study classical music. And during those four years, I studied classical music quite seriously. Although I was always more interested in jazz, and everyone at the school knew I'd probably go on and do a jazz degree or something. But that was a very important four years in, in my overall musical education. And then after that, when I graduated from school, when I was 18 years old, I did my undergraduate studies in London, at the Royal Academy of Music, for four years. And then after that, when I was 22 years old, I moved to New York to Manhattan School of Music, did two years there. And then that's it. I just, I'm still here in New York. I've been done with school for, for two years now. I think two or three years, I don't know. And were you uh, 
How easy did you find it, uh, either during or after the Manhattan time, to uh, kind of transition into a working musician? I mean, it's, in New York, it's very challenging to be honest. If if you want to do it seriously, you know, you know, I I hate to th to think of you know so many talented musicians running around who, who graduate from school because you know, and they graduate from school with with no work and nothing to do, and they they just don't know what to do with themselves because the school has not prepared them for for a life in music. If if you want my honest opinion, I mean, we could get into a whole other discussion about my opinions on that, but. Um, it, it's, it's kind of dis disturbing to see that. So, I was de determined not to be, you know, one of those people, and I, I wanted to work and have a, a a career. You know, I mean, I could have a career doing some other music, but I wanted a career being creative and, and doing my own music, or playing with other like-minded creative people, and you know, I, you know, something else, doing something else was never really an option for me. And you know, during my time in London, I, I'd been working doing gigs. I was working professionally, you know, during my final years of undergraduate study. But that's a whole different, you know, ball game over there. But then I moved to New York. I didn't know anybody. And then the the work that does exist in New York, for the most part, is not terribly well paid. You know, so you have to you have to create your own career, and you have to create your own opportunities. And that's exactly what I've attempted to do since then. You know, so it's 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 not impossible. It's definitely challenging definitely have to work hard, you have to be smart, you have to not have to deal with business, but above all you need to deal with the music, because if you, you know, something that Dave has always said to me, he says, you know, if you just do good work musically, he said everything will be cool in the end, he said you might have some hard times, you, you, you might be broke for a couple of months here and there, you know, you might fund your own album, which I did, the previous thing was self-funded, and then for a couple of months after that it's like, oh, you know, you don't have much money, but he says, do good work, and it will all come back to you and you'll get what you deserve and I, th I think there's a lot of truth in that. graduating than there are opportunities for those students to play. Yeah. And two, that the 
music schools focus on uh, musical skills, but uh, often not quite as much on how to actually make a living as a musician and how to manage a career and uh, financially keep yourself solvent. Yes, and I think a lot of the reason, um, you know, is you know the reason that exists is because a lot of people. I mean, again, I, I can't get into naming names or whatever. I'm, I'm not even about to go there. But as a general thing, you know, the, the teachers at these institutions, not, not for the whole part, but for the most part, are out of touch and out of date with what's happening in today's world. Because even you know t today is not the same as like three years ago or five years ago. Even in in terms of you know MySpace came and went, and now the people use Facebook to do stuff. And then there's like live streaming. You know you can you can listen to music on radio stations and like live concerts, and you, and you can get your music streamed streamed and be paid for that. And you get your music on iTunes. And then it's just the technology is evolving at such a, an extreme rate that even the musicians who are active and you know active today are having a hard enough time, you know, keeping keeping up with it, you know, in, in terms of maintaining your own website and, and selling, you know, produce through your website, whether it be live, you know, live recordings like Dave does on his website, you know, or you can like, you, you can buy things through my website, you can buy both of my CDs, or you can download the scores, you can download the PDFs for the compositions, or you can download the albums, you know, but they, nobody taught me that at school, because um, the teachers there don't, don't know how to do that themselves really. They, they, they're not aware of, of how that works. And it's not for, you know, I'm not saying they're bad teachers because they have many other amazing qual qualities and attributes, you know, that they pass on. But as far as that stuff is concerned, they're out of touch, is, is how it is, bluntly. They're, they're very out of touch. And I've learned about this stuff through Dave and through my other peers, you know, who, who are more in touch. Yeah. No, I don't know if that's, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I saw you uh, last night at Roulette with mm -hmm. um, Tyshawn Sori and Taylor Hobinum and Aaron, whose last name I can never remember. Aaron Stewart. Stewart, thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. um, which is a phenomenal show. I, I really, really loved it. And uh, so I guess I wanted to ask you how you came to be there and what that experience uh, was like for you. It was, it was a very fun and very mind-blowing experience as it always is working with Taishon and you know the other guys in, in, as well I mean I've worked with Taishon a lot more because he's he has been in my band in the, in the past and he's on my first recording um, so yeah I mean I guess I mean I forget how I got to meet Taishon initially I mean it's a few years ago now I guess three years ago or something in fact I do remember I was playing on on somebody's recital at New School a bass player from the New School who was at New School at the time asked me to play on his graduation recital and Taishun was on that as well and I was just blown away by you know the musical force of this guy it's like how can one guy just have so much music coming out to me it really kind of you know, knocked me sideways and made me think about things I, I'd never experienced anything like it from anybody and he's you know Taishun is still in my opinion one of the most amazing young musicians around you know period in, in any genre he's like he's basically a genius you know and uh, like I said, every time I make music with him, it's just it always goes to another level. But anyway, I remember the first time I had a gig of my own, um, I really heard Taishan on the music and I called him for the gig, even though we'd only played on this one person's recital once. And um, Taishan and Dave had never played before that. Dave Benny and, you know, 
I mean, this is kind of how my first band came to being, basically. And, uh, you know, I played with David Bett, I wanted Dave, and then I forget who was on bass for that first gig, but I just remember that first gig I called Tyson for, and we just struck up a relationship where he did most of my gigs at that period. We went on, on tour, and he played my he played my graduation recital at school, my own, and then I mean, basically my graduation recital for Manhattan School was, was the, the consequences recording. We did that, and then maybe a week or two later we went into the studio, and it was it was the same band, so... That's how I got to work with Taishan, and then he recently started calling me for this new project that he put together, which is what you heard last night, which is very different from anything else I've ever done, really. It's very, very complex in one way, I mean, but it's very open music in another kind of way, you know. There's, it's very structured, like, I mean, you, you saw some of the run-through, um, you know, prior to the performance last night, and... Um, it's kind of almost, I don't want to say minimal material that's presented on the page, but he um, presents this stuff like a sketch and there's different sections of the form, like A, B, C, and D. And then within that, Taishon, you know, a few minutes before the concert will create quite a complex roadmap, you know. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it, was, it was a very challenging experience, but just so much fun at the same time because it, it, there's so many different possibilities within that, you know. Yeah, one of the things, uh, as, you, as you mentioned and as we talked about uh, before we started recording, uh, I was there early enough that I got to hear him create that roadmap, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it was amazing to me, I mean, to hear, to, to hear it spelled out, because it was very complex. Um, I mean, do you remember how specific he was being? Like, for example, he was talking about um, pitch, what was the word he used now, pitch something, and then... I, I forget the, the, the actual term he used, but and then about density as well, you know. Right, exactly, yeah. So he was like, okay, this section, the section E, will do this, but it will morph into a drum piano duet, and it will start off as, a, a, you call it a, a density register, I think he, that's how he refers to it. So he said, you know, piano will start off in this register, and it will be dense, you know, and the drums will start off not dense, but then the drums over the course of the improvisation, of the course of the duet improvisation will go, the drums will go from being not dense to dense and the piano will go from being dense, you know, to, to not dense. It will be like a crossover effect. But we have to like pace this and you've got to think about the pacing of it. At the same time, you have to think about the interaction and, but you're kind of playing over this, this form and it's, it's, it's a lot to think about. You yeah. Know? But the end results is, is, you know, some very, some very different end results. You know, it's just a different creative process. Well, that's, and that's exactly what I wanted to focus on, especially you saying it's a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. um, because in the... I wonder how having all of that to think about, how does that uh, kind of interface with the tendency to try to be free and to not really be kind of focused on a, on a structure as much as listening to the other musicians and so on and so forth. How do you kind of balance those things, having this very complex structure and also being able to interact with the other musicians in the moment? Well, I mean, it's, I think it's just basically a familiarity thing, and like, if it's Taishan's concept, he's basically, I don't know if he invented this system, but he's certainly worked, if he hasn't invented it, he's worked within it a lot. And it's just a familiarity thing, like some people would say to me, oh man, your music's so hard, like how do you, you got to read all these notes and then improvise, but it's just, it's, it's not hard to me, because I created it, and the other musicians who I'm playing, playing it with have played it often enough so they can be be free with it. It's like when I first started learning jazz when I was a small kid, it's like, oh shit, I've got to play a blues. And like, you got to think about the chord changes going from the one to the four to the five. And, the, and 
you know, and then you learn giant steps for the first time, and it's like that's the hardest thing on the planet. And obviously, you know, now you know people can just play giant steps, and it's and it's kind of standard repertoire. So it's just a familiarity thing. And you know, Taishan, that group you heard, we're going on tour in October. I think it's October, and we'll be playing that music night after night, and it will it will be easier. And even though it is complex, it it will become more normal. The act of doing it will. I mean, I know will become gradually more and more normal, you know? You said um, when you first, uh, I just want to ask you one more question about uh, your working with Taishan. You, you said when you first uh, met him that uh, you were amazed at how much music he had coming out of him. For kind of non-musicians, the lay listener to this show, can you talk about what that meant, what it was you saw or heard that? Well, one, I mean, I can talk about the level of his, his drumming, you know, I mean, he's basically the most amazing drummer I've ever heard, you know, like, it, purely on a on a superficial technical level, if you want to talk about that side of things, he has, he's, he's incredibly natural, he has more technique than, than anybody else I've ever, ever seen or met or heard, um, but the, the technique always, always, always serves the music, you know, as, as you heard last night, sometimes he would play very minimal, very sparse, and like his own bands, you know, other projects which I'm not involved in can be way more sparse than that and way more, you know, in that vein. But not only that, he's a fantastic trombone player, he's a fantastic piano player, um, and he's obviously an amazing, amazing composer. He studied a lot of 20th century classical music, and his just his, just his knowledge of different styles of music is, is quite astounding and scary. He can play the most complex, you know, like Steve Coleman's music, you know, like he 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 plays plays the hell out of that music. He just and if you heard Steve's latest CD, yeah, Steve was just on the show actually a couple weeks ago. Oh, nice, excellent. You know, I mean, so you've heard that CD and how well Taishan deals with that. It's just it's yeah, it's just kind of breathtaking, you know. But he's just an open musician, open to ex exploration and and trying to break new ground and taking risks. And he has incredible ears and like you know, it's just he's just the, the personification of music basically. Uh, this, this show will air in a few weeks. Will you talk about some things that are coming up for you uh, on the horizon? Um, 
Well, actually, right now I'm working on a commission from Jim Music America. Oh, great. Which was awarded to me last year. It was part of the New Jazz Works um, you know, grants for 2009. And we're performing those... Um, well, the, those new compositions, which is, it's kind of like 60% complete at the moment. I'm writing it, composing it right now. Those performances are on the... The, f the first performance is on the 3rd of September at the Falcon, which is upstate in Marlborough, New York. And then on the 14th of September at the 55 bar, which I decided to do it there because that's kind of you know, where the music was born and bred, you know, and it had been like, nice to do it there. So. Those two performances are of this brand new commission, which I'm, I'm very excited about. You know. And who's playing with you for those uh, shows? It's a variation of the band. Um, it's um, Nishit is playing drums and Dave Binney. And Zach Loba is a bass player who has worked with me quite often, and we work together a lot in another band called The Story. And then, actually, it's been changed up in place of Ambrose. Um, we have a guitarist, Nia Felder. Oh, great. You may be familiar yeah, with him. Yeah. So, so, um, It'd be very interesting, you know, to see how that works out. I mean, I already know it's going to be great. I mean, because they're great musicians. So I, I have those dates, and then I'm going out with Taishuan in October to Europe. Yeah, a few other things here, and I'm going out with this other band called The Story to to Portugal in November, and then and then in November that the band that I just mentioned that's performing the new work. We're going out to Canada for a few days. I should mention that will be at the, the Rex in Toronto. I forget when that, the exact dates are now, but it's over Thanksgiving weekend in the States, so sadly I'll be away during Thanksgiving, even though you know I'm, I'm British, but I do enjoy being around for Thanksgiving just because it's such a wonderful holiday and I always you know, enjoy going around to my friend's place and having food and stuff. But, sure. but I'll, be, I'll be in Toronto and at Upstairs in Montreal you know, for Thursday through Saturday. Okay. No, Wednesday, sorry, Wednesday through Saturday. Of Thanksgiving weekend, and then that takes me to December, and then I'm planning my next recording, which I can't really talk about yet because it's not confirmed. But I'm planning on recording my third album right before Christmas, and I definitely have people in mind for that. And if I can get people's schedules together and and get the money together, I'll be recording hopefully right before Christmas. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, links to uh, John's website will be in the show notes of this show, so folks can go check that out and uh, see his calendar. Um, John, it's uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so glad I got to see you play last night. I was really happy that Thank it uh, worked really, out that yeah, way. Great. And uh, really, really enjoyed this record. I highly recommend it to everyone. My guest is John Escreet. Uh, his new album is called Don't Fight the Inevitable. And uh, it's really been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you. My pleasure, Jason. Thank you.
That's John Escrete and Don't Fight the Inevitable, his new recording. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. You'll find every episode of the show for free in iTunes and at TheJazzSession.com, where you'll also find links to purchase the music and at the same time support The Jazz Session. And you'll find a donate button if you'd like to give something back. Also, if you're interested in becoming an underwriter of the Jazz Session, please do contact me about some of the attractive sponsorship opportunities to reach uh, the thousands of listeners who uh, download each episode of the show. My thanks to the members of the Respect Sextet for the opening and closing themes of this program. They've got a new album called Farcical Built for Six, and you'll find it at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Session's logo. Thank you so much for listening. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.